one bit of great news. We had two men who were baptized yesterday at the detention center. Amen. Thankful for that. What a blessing that is. Thankful to those who continue to work so diligently there to share the gospel in that place. So please continue to be praying for them. Not only the efforts here, but for the men and women who are uh, in our local detention center, be praying for them, please. Um, and another kind of new birth, uh, Thatcher Bagby is a, a big brother. Uh, we're thankful for, for that, that Josie is here now, and uh, what a blessing that is. We celebrate with them. Um, also, I want to brag on you. You know, there's such devastation. You see the images of what's happening in eastern Kentucky. It just... Uh, causes you know pain and sorrow in our hearts and thinking about the people what they're going through in eastern Kentucky uh, but we had an opportunity this week to to help a little bit and in such short notice you only had like three days of, of notice to get items in I think Melissa was in contact with the National Guard who were going to load up a number of trucks and vans and things and they were sending one van here to our place you know, the kind of van pasture van with no seats in the back and I think the, the soldier that was planning on driving things, I think he was planning on having his wife ride with him. Well, we changed his plans for him because there was barely room for the driver in this van when, when South Green Street was finished. This van was packed every single door, pasture side door, side doors, back doors, open any of those doors and stuff was going to come falling out because we packed it to the hilt and that was delivered. Uh, they left here Friday mornings. So we're so thankful for that. So I'm saying to you, Thank you. Good job. There's still more help that needs to be done. There's still other ways you can help, but just thankful for the way that you, as always, you know, stepped up and, and helped when there were people who were hurting. So let's think together. We're starting a new series today, and it's not about TikTok, but the ideas come from this. And if you're not familiar with TikTok, let me give a, maybe a super fast introduction just sort of what's happening here now let me give you a disclaimer this is not an anti-tiktok series of lessons had to say that to the boys just recently i'm not an anti-tiktok there's really cool things on there but just like with any other thing in the world all forms of technology all things that we have can be used for good or for bad so there's hilarious good fun things helpful things there and there's dangerous Terrible things there too, right? So this is not an anti-TikTok uh, sermon. I'm not anti-TikTok. I'm against lies. I'm against deception. And I know you are too. You're against good things being used to harm people that we love. We're all against that. But if you're in the dark about what TikTok is, it's a place where you can go and post, you know, most of the time short little videos, and they can be about anything and everything. Most of the time they're funny. Most of the time they're, they're pranks and they're stunts and they're jokes and the things that you just sort of you know, watch and laugh at before you find the next one. But here's the deal. In 2021, TikTok was the number one, the most popular website in all the world. Number one. So it's used more than any other. And it's most popular with the younger generation. I'm told, I read, that 41% of the users of TikToks are between the ages of 16 and 24. And the average user is on TikTok one and a half hours every day. The average user checks, opens TikTok 17 times a day. 
So here's the point. It's popular. It's being used. It's being looked at again and again and again. The bottom line is lots of people are spending lots of time on this app. And the idea that, that I want to share with you over the next few weeks, Lord willing, is, is from this, this hashtag of TikTok taught me. Have you seen this, this hashtag? It's really cool. Uh, you can learn lots of different things. There's one commercial that's out right now. You've been wearing your neck pillow wrong. You've been peeling your banana wrong. You've been deboning your chicken wing wrong. Here's the best way to, to fold a fitted sheet. Cool ideas, things you can see. Oh, and you say, TikTok taught me about that. I don't see him right this minute, but this is the kind of thing that, oh, there he is. Robert Spear would give me a hard time about this. I know how to peel a banana. I know how to tie my shoes, right? But see, but TikTok is, is good for these kinds of things. It'll, it'll show you these things that you're like, I've been doing this for a thousand years. I've been doing this all my life. And then somebody comes along and says, here's a little trick. Do it a little bit differently. And you're like, oh, kind of like, you know, couldn't believe it. I've been wasting all my time. So it's really cool. It has these neat ideas and helpful things. But like I said, like anything else, it can be a blessing or a curse because there's so much information put there. There's some of these challenges that are put there that are sometimes hilarious and sometimes fun to do, but there's also challenges that are put there that are extremely scary. Just this morning, just this morning, I read one of the headlines in the news comes from, from London, from the UK, of a young man who since April has been on life support. Did you read about this? 12-year-old been on life support since April. Finally took him off life support against his parents' wishes, and he passed away. Well, they say that he was in this coma since April because he got involved in the blackout challenge on TikTok. So there's things on there that are dangerous. But there's things that are fun and beautiful and great, just like we've said. But it's the information that I'm concerned about. It's the things that are being taught. Because it's also become a place where Christians can go and share the gospel. But it's also a place where non-Christians can go and share attacks. Attacks against Christianity. And so some have started posting videos that make fun of Christians. Some have been posting videos with questions about Jesus and the Bible that supposedly can't be answered. And so... One of the ideas that I had was this, that with Bryce and, and Raina's help, we're sharing a, a survey with our youth group, asking them, what have you seen on social media, period? Not simply TikTok, but on, on social media, period. What have you seen that has challenged your faith? Because I want us to deal with it in a public way. Completely anonymous, of course. I'm never going to stand up here and say, folks, let me tell you what Ike's struggling with. I would never do that. I mean, I'll call his name out like that right now and embarrass him, but I would never say. And so whenever our youth answers this, Lord willing, when they answer these questions, we're going to deal with them in the TikTok taught me series of saying, here's what they're being challenged with, and here's the answer. Because what we want all of us, whether you're 7 or 77, no matter what your age is, we want you to know that what our desire from the depth of our soul is we want to help. This is a place where questions are encouraged did you hear what I said? Questions are encouraged. Doubt and confusion, these kinds of things are normal, and it's okay. Because we've all been there. If you've grown and lived in this world any at all, you've had questions, you've had doubts, you've had concerns, and you needed somebody that was bigger and smarter than you and had been through more things than you to help you to wrestle through them. 
And so that's what I want to emphasize to our young people, to our old people, whoever you are. Questions are okay, and this is the place to come. First of all, you ought to start with, with your family. You ought to start with your parents. Because I am telling you, young people, your parents will be thrilled if you will come to them with the questions that you have. They might, you might have to pick them up off the floor. You might have to get them some tissue once they stop crying. They want you to come to them with your questions. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to ask a question that, that mom and dad hadn't even thought of before. And that's okay. Because then we can, we can work together. Our elders and, and Bryce and Alan and, and me, we can work together and we can, we can work these things out. Because here's the deal. No one of us may have all of the answers, but the Lord does. There is an answer. There's a way through these things. There's an answer to the questions that we have. And so if we work on it together, we can, we can accomplish great things. So, one of the ideas that's under attack today, the way we're going to start this study together, is that we're going to consider this idea that what I have seen and read and heard again and again and again is just quite simply the concept of truth. The concept of truth. And so we're going to start our lessons by thinking about the source of truth, the nature of truth. What is truth? Where does it come from? How do I recognize it? All those kinds of things. Because as odd as that might sound, you may be sitting there saying, well, the truth, of course, anybody knows what the truth is. That's not a difficult concept. Well, you'd be flat out shocked if that's what you think. If you think the truth is easy, if you think the truth is not under attack, then you haven't been, <laughs> you haven't been on TikTok or any other social media because it's absolutely under attack. Social media is able to drive home the point when video after video emphasizes the wrong ideas about the truth. So let's, let's think through it today. What is the truth and where do we find it? That's, that's what we're going to think about. Well, let's start with talking about what the truth is not. Okay, three quick ideas to just quickly establish, get firmly rooted in our hearts and minds. Three things about what truth is not. Now, we're, these things we're going to be often told, this is what truth is, but I'm telling you, this is not what it is. Truth is not just what you feel. You don't determine what is right, what is wrong. You don't determine what is the eternal truth based upon the way that you currently feel. It's not the way that it works. You're told over and over and over again to follow your heart. And if you'll just follow your heart, you can't go wrong. If you'll just go with what you feel and what makes you happy, you can't go wrong. And that is an ugly, destructive, condemning lie. I mean, think about this idea. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the Lord, the infinite and perfectly wise God said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, Jeremiah, speaking for God, would say, don't follow your heart. It'll lead you in places you don't want to go. Without the guidance and influence of God, we would be hopelessly lost. Because here's part of the deal. Our feelings change, don't they? And we've mentioned this concept before, but I want to emphasize it again. The kinds of foods we like, that changes. The relationships we're in, the kind of people we enjoy being around, those things change. So we need something that's permanent. We need something unchanging. Going back to the philosopher Pascal, he said that we need a fixed point. Because you think about it this way. Think about if you're on a ship and you're on that ship, and you're moving away from the seashore, and you're looking at all the people, it looks like they're moving, doesn't it? 
Looks like the people on the seashore who are waving goodbye, looks like they're moving away. You're the one who's moving. The people on the boat are the ones who are moving away. And that's why we need a fixed point, something that doesn't change, something that doesn't move. Our feelings move and change by the day, by the hour. So we need something that's fixed and unchanging. Because this becomes confusing. It becomes confusing. We were reminded just, just today, Alan was sending out some messages to, to some of us, reminding us about how hard it can be. Because we were celebrating the fact that, that some obeyed the gospel in the jail. But they're in a difficult spot there. Because day after day, hour after hour, different people come in and they're telling them different things about God. That's tough. That's confusing. When one person comes in and says this, another person comes in and says that, another one says this, it can become the kind of thing, well, I'm going to base what I believe upon who gives me things. Or I'm going to base what I believe upon who I like the best, who looks the best, who sounds the best, whoever, the way I feel. That's not how we determine truth. It's also not determined by what culture says. It's not a majority gets to answer. It's not a popularity contest. This is especially difficult in places like school and social media where when you feel outnumbered, that is just no fun. It is no fun to feel like you're the only one who has a moral backbone. It's no fun to say that uh, I'm the one who, who follows Jesus and seeks to be moral. It's like, you're just a person that has no fun. You're a goody two-shoes. You're this or that. That's hard. But culture and numbers don't determine what's true. Think of all the times throughout human history. We won't, we won't stop to talk about it now, but you can do this on your own. You're smart enough. Think about the times in human history when the masses, when the numbers went one direction and it was so wicked and wrong. I mean, slavery is one thing that comes to mind. When the masses thought this was okay, how could we have ever thought that? Numbers don't make something true and good and right. They don't. The truth remains the truth no matter how many people adhere to it and follow it and advocate for it. I mean, just look at Jesus. Jesus was the one that in Luke 23, 21, there were crowds saying, crucify him, crucify him. Those big numbers of people who wanted Jesus dead, that didn't make it okay, did it? He still was the son of God, perfect, sinless, the savior, and the crowd wanted him dead. The culture, the numbers don't determine the truth. And then there's this, circumstances don't determine the truth either. Being in pain does not mean that God doesn't love you. Being in pain does not mean that God has gone away and doesn't see you. Being rich does not mean that God is pleased with your actions. You see, your circumstances don't determine what's true and right and good. None of these things define or describe the truth. So what does? Well, this is where I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. The passage that Jet read from John chapter 8, verse 32, we'll look at in a minute. You know in John 14, verse 6, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is revealed by God. Truth is not invented by individuals. Truth is not in invented by communities of people. Now, beliefs are human inventions, but the truth comes from our perfect and powerful God. God made himself known through this awesome creation, Romans 1.20. And additionally, we should be so thankful that God chose to reveal himself to us. We should be so thankful and so full of joy that God chose to send his son to show us what he's like. 
So look with me at John chapter 1. Let's read it beginning at verse 14. John 1, 14, to emphasize the idea that truth is revealed by God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now listen to this, the description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, he ranks before me, because he was before me. Jesus is eternal. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Kindness and reality opportunity and obligation love and expectation all these things grace and truth what we see about kindness and love and and second chances grace came through jesus he's the one who offers that he's also the one who tells us about the truth you have obligations to meet there are expectations of the lord in your life and that doesn't change based upon the way you feel or who you surround yourself with. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, the Bible said that love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. Truth is revealed by God. He's the one who determines, decides, this is the way to be, this is the way to think, this is, this is who we're to follow. And it's Jesus. But there's this. Truth is also, we might say, it's objective and it's knowable. When I say that truth is objective, here's, here's what I mean by that. It's, it's outside of me. Truth doesn't come from down deep within me. It's not part of you know, my hearts and wishes and my, my ideas. Truth is from outside of me. It's objective. The emphasis and the overemphasis and the misunderstanding on human autonomy today is one of our great dangers. Let me say this and say it clearly. Human dignity trumps autonomy because there are laws outside of us there are laws that are beyond me that every last one of us must submit to but it's also it's not just objective it's not just outside of me i don't decide remember i said it's revealed by god meaning it comes from god so it's outside of me but it's also knowable it's in, it's in, within the reach of even the simple the truth is within the reach of even me I can know the truth. I don't have to know everything to know that I know some things. That's a great thing about the way the world works. I don't have to know every single divine mystery in order to know that Jesus loves me. That's why the little kids can sing that. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. The smallest know that. You don't have to know every profound mystery, everything about the Trinity and everything, but you can know that Jesus loves you. Look at John chapter 8. John 8, the passage that Jed read, Jet read, this is going to emphasize how truth is objective and knowable. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. There's the word, the word of God that's given to man. That's objective, that's outside of me. So he says, if you come to my word, if you come to know and appreciate and love and follow my word, not if you just follow your heart, not if you just think about what you feel down deep inside, but if you abide in my word that's outside of you, here's what happens. He said, you will know the truth. 
Jesus expects us to know what he has shared, and then he expects us to be set free. This doesn't diminish faith. We still have to trust and act on what we know to be true. But if somebody tells you that truth is from within, they're lying to you. If someone tells you that truth can't be known, they're lying to you. In fact, if somebody ever says, truth can't be known, you just say, do you know that's true? Because that doesn't work, right? If I say, you can't know the truth, how do you know that? Truth can be known. Jesus expects us to know it. But here's the next thing. It's given by God. It's outside of us, and we can know it, and it's absolute. This means that it doesn't change. Truth doesn't vary. It doesn't change. It doesn't get modified with the times. You're not going to learn. Now, I realize there's you know, strange math out there, anything, but you're never going to learn that 2 plus 2 equals 5. You're just not. If I have two apples and two more apples, I've got four apples. That's the way it's always going to work. That's not going to change. It will never, ever be the case. Listen to me. It'll never, ever be the case that idolatry becomes acceptable. It'll never, ever be the case that theft and lying and murder become acts of virtue. That's just not going to change. Because truth is not relative. It's not shifting. It's not revisable. The weather may change, but God and his truth do not change. Go with me to John 19. This is what John 19 says, beginning at verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you may also believe. You know what that means? For them right then in the first century, and in the second century, in the third century, in the fourth century, all the way down to the 21st century. Go over one page. Go to chapter 20, verse 31. 20, 31. These things were written. All that we find here in the beautiful, amazing Gospel of John, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The message of God can be trusted then, it can be trusted now, because the truth of God doesn't vary. It was Jesus who saved before, and it's Jesus who saves today. That doesn't change. And so John could say, I'm recording this, I'm giving you this today, and it'll be applicable tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Because truth's absolute. That's the way it works with Jesus. Then there's this. Not only is it given by God, and so it's outside of us, we can know it and it doesn't change, but it's also universal. That means that this message applies everywhere. It engages everything and it excludes nothing. Truth doesn't apply in some countries to some people, some time frames, but not to others. It, it applies everywhere. Look at John 18. John 18, the discussion that Jesus was having with Pilate. John 18, verse 37. Pilate says to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, and you say that I'm a king. In other words, yep, that's right. You say, right, I am, I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Now listen to this. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now Pilate goes on to sadly, cavalierly say, well, what is the truth? And then marches out. The very point that Jesus was making was this. My authority is universal. 
Jesus was saying to Pilate, your thoughts of kings are local. You think of there's some kings who rule here, and there's some kings who rule there, and there's some kings who rule over here. He said, my kingdom's different. My kingdom's different. I'm the kind of king who rules the world, and I'm the kind of king that has called everyone because anyone and everyone who will hear my voice belongs to me. That means in Israel, in Russia, in China, in Glasgow, Scotland, and Kentucky. Anywhere the voice of Jesus is heard, that's a person who must submit to the king, Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and verses 9 and 10, we learn that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when Jesus gives the great commission, he doesn't just say, go tell the people here locally in Israel. He says, don't just cover Jerusalem. He says, go into all the world and tell them about me and make disciples that follow me. God's truth is not provincial. It's not for certain areas. It's not partial, just for a few. Jesus' word is universal because that's the way the truth works. But then, this may sound strange to follow up universal with this word, but the truth is not only universal, it's for everyone, but it's also exclusive. You know what I mean by that? The very nature of truth is that it's narrow and specific. And one of the things I seek to emphasize to, to young people is this. Truth's narrow, but that's okay. That's just the way that it works. If I say that I'm standing inside this building right now, well, then I'm not standing outside. If I say that I am standing in Glasgow, Kentucky this minute, well, I'm not in China. That's just the way that it works. By being here, I've excluded other things. That's sort of a narrow way of thinking. But that's the way truth works. And so when we say things like this, that if I say that Jesus is the sinless, perfect Son of God, well, I'm saying He can't be both sinful and sinless at the same time. He can't be. If I say that Jesus is the only name that saves, Acts 4, verse 12, well, He can't just be one Savior among many then, can He? His is the only name by which men can be saved. It's not one name among many names. And so in John 14, verse 6, this is what Jesus said. Listen to how narrow this is. Listen to how intolerant this is. Jesus said, I am the way. There's no other way to the heaven. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. There's not another option. If you want to stand before the Father, if you want to dwell forever and ever and ever in the presence of the perfect God, Jesus is the way, truth, and life. There's no other way. Some would say that makes us narrow-minded. Some would say that makes us intolerant. That's, this, that's being submissive to the truth. It's not arrogant. It's not intolerant. It's humbly submitting to the truth that God has given us. Because the truth is exclusive. If Jesus is the only Savior, I cannot say there's another way. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul said, look, there's not another gospel. There's the one gospel. Don't let anybody bring another. Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Jesus would say this, there's just the one narrow way that leads to life. There's a broad way that leads to death, but there's just the one way that leads to life. Because truth is exclusive. That's the way that it works. There's no other way. But then finally, there's this. The truth's revealed by God. We can know it. It doesn't change. It applies to all people at all times. It, it's very limiting. It's exclusive. That's the way that it works. But the truth is also unified. From start to finish, if I were to, to hold up the, the Scriptures in front of you such as this, from this cover to this cover, it's true. There's no contradictions. There's no problems. There's no issues. 
from start to finish. It's the truth. You're not going to find something that's true in science that's false in theology. You're not going to find something that's true in philosophy that's false in theology. A fragmented and incoherent worldview is never ever the goal or the reality for any truth-seeking Christian. Look at John 17, 17 as we close. This is the way Jesus spoke of it. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. The message is simple. From start to finish, the word of God is true. The Old Testament tells us people have sinned and they need a Savior. Well, the Savior's coming. The Christ is coming. The Gospels tell us that the Savior's here and the rest of the New Testament tells us the Savior's coming back for judgment. From start to finish, the Word of God is true. It's unified because that's the way the truth works. You know philosophers, logicians, they tell us that if you come across two statements that contradict one another, you know, you got a problem. you got something that's incoherent and untrue because it must be unified in order to be true. So having said all of those things, I know this, was, this, this lesson today was maybe something that's kind of close to my heart and was very philosophical. <laughs> and I hope that some of you will forgive me for that. Show me some grace. Let's end with something that's very, very personal and practical. What's the source of truth? What is the truth and where do we go to find it? In John chapter 6 at verse 68, Peter answered Jesus. He said, Lord, I know you've asked us if we're going to depart. I know you've asked if we're going to scatter. I know you asked if we're going to run away. But he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And Jesus, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 